Welcome to episode 141 of the Thunder Underground podcast. My name's Trent, this is Jason, and this week we've got close to an hour and a half of punk rock and roll. This is great. Yeah. This is something we've actually been talking about for a while because early on, episode 33, Dave Cantrell joined us Yeah, for a lengthy talk about just his history in music and what he's done, and... He talked a little bit about this at this time because you know this has been go- this has been going on for a few years and that's been a couple years ago now. Yeah, this documentary. Yeah. yeah. So we've been kind of looking forward to it, and then once we're here now at the the point where this thing's getting ready to debut, and here we are. We got not just Dave, but we got Brian Crane, who's kind of spearheaded this thing, and then Terry Waska as well. Yes. So, you know, every once in a while here on this podcast, 141 episodes, we get to. It gets to involve punk. Yes. And it's been here and there. Not, you know, we're admittedly both metal and hard rock guys, but we also love our punk. And, but yeah, I mean, throughout this, the history of this podcast, we've had, what, we had Chad Malone. Yes. You know, who was featured in this documentary. Like I said, Dave Cantrell, other guys that we'll talk about here in a bit that are scattered throughout this and, you know, guys from... Street Dogs, and then who we have? We've had Lola from Redneck Nosferatu right yeah, here, the Normandies. Definitely. So not done it as much as we'd like, but so this is really this is a really great thing because I know you're. I love punk, but I think you're even a bigger fan than I am at times. So. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I uh, it's something I really, <clears throat> you know, I can connect with, and I love the, you know, just the punch of it, and you know this. This episode we're about to unfurl for you. This conversation was, it was, it was an honor and it was uh, really cool. Uh, you know, kind of learn about the, the scene before, you know, we were, you know, while we were still kids and, you know, we kind of just got educated on, you know, what was going on. And, uh, so, you know, this is, uh, this is going to be a good one. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even, we didn't even mention this. Is called, like it says there on the title, Old Capital Underground. Yes. The Evolution and Genesis of Punk Rock in Tulsa. Yes. And it starts around 77 and goes up to the mid-90s. So like you said, that's before us. Yeah. That's basically when we were born. Was yeah. I was born in 77, you 76. Yeah. So like you said, and you mentioned in here to them, we didn't catch a lot of this till the tail end of it. You know, it was the late 80s. That we got into music, of course, as kids, and then it wasn't until the early 90s when we were going to shows all the time. Yeah. So we got to see a few of these bands, but a lot of them, like, you know, TA, Los Reactors, and the stuff they feature was way before our time, and we never got a chance to be a part of that. Yeah, so it was great to learn about all that, and, uh, you know, is, is, you know, kids going to see these bands to talk to them now, it's pretty cool, and just to kind of get a, a, a feel of what it was like back then. It was great. Yeah. And, you know, it was a great history lesson and uh, <clears throat> really looking forward to seeing this movie. So let's, speaking of the history lesson, let's play one of these songs. Let's do it. NOTA is probably one of the most featured bands in this doc because they're one of the most famous punk bands from this area. This song's called War on Wankers.
Winkers from NOTA. I mean, that's just a great song. Like, we were sitting here before we were recording this, doing a run through on this song and the song we're going to play here in a bit. And both of us were kind of singing. We, we couldn't get out of our heads. <laughs> right. Singing this that's, song that's while we were waiting song. to listen to yeah. that song, you know? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you listen to a song like that and you really hear, you know, it sounds like classic underground punk, but at the same time, you really hear how stuff like that influenced thrash bands. Definitely. Because. You know, I don't know if Anthrax ever heard NOTA, but when you're listening to that, I Anthrax being one of my favorite bands, I really hear where they got something. You know, I mean, Definitely. we know that Charlie Benante and probably the other guys in the band are big fans of Husker Du, and, you know, that goes along with all this stuff as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and that's obviously what they talk about in this doc, is it just branches off into the thrash stuff as well. Yeah. Yeah, it sure did. Speaking of thrash... Later, Pitbulls on Crack. That's right. You know, it's featured in this as well. Steve Ray's been on this podcast a couple times. And, I mean, he's a big part of the history of the heavy side of Tulsa music. And another cool thing to point out with that is, you know, we just did an episode last week with Sprout from Screen Ram Mutant. That's right. And this is a guy that Sprout's close to our age, and he's only been part of the music scene for a couple years in Tulsa. Mm. You know, he came from Kansas. And, you know, he brings up Steve Ray and what he's meant to him and how, you know, much he's been a part of his music and that kind of thing. Yeah. There. You know, so that kind of shows a lot for this guy because, you know, Steve Ray's been around since we were kids and still to this day influence people yeah. that are currently making music. That's right. Um, You know, what, what else can you say about Steve Ray? I mean, he, Oklahoma Rays, that's what he's doing now and they're amazing. Um, but yeah, Pitbulls on Crack, that was, uh, it was so exciting to see a thrash band, heavy band, you know, from Tulsa, you know, that was kind of like, you know, that was our thing, you know, kind of right up our alley. Um, and, uh, I don't know if you never saw him back in the day. I don't know what to tell you. You, you missed out. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can see little snippets on this doc. Yes. But one thing to point out, you know, he's been on, he was on here recently, I think it was episode 110, and then way back he was one of our early interviews. Yeah. And let's tell this story, in case you haven't heard that old interview, <laughs> was we went and saw him, one of the times we saw him was opening for Lucy's Fur Coat. Yes. And he kind of chuckled when we said that, because I guess he's not a big fan of Lucy's Fur Coat, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't know, I can even but, remember. Anyway, the point is, there was literally like 18 people in the crowd, and of... Those 18 people, 
us and our friends were like eight of them. Yeah. And anyway, <laughs> Steve, like during his set, stopped and had everybody introduce themselves. Because there was... There was literally just enough people. That there you, was just enough people. It's like, yeah. fuck it, just introduce yeah. yourselves, you know? Like he introduced his band. He's like, hey, all you guys. And he gets down <laughs> and goes up to each people, each person with the mic. And, you know, and our buddy Mike Thrasher was there. And we got to him. He's like, he thought he was bullshitting that his last name was Thrasher. He's like, no. And he made him show him his license right there. And he showed Steve his license. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. It was cool to be able to tell him that story, too. Yeah. You know? But Terry Waska was also a part of that for a while, and, you know, he's featured here in this interview in a bit. Another guy that's been on this podcast is Chad Malone. Yes. And that was way back at episode 58. And in that episode, we talked, you know, this guy's been a part of a lot of bands around Tulsa. Yeah. You know, back then and now, he's still currently in three or four bands. Mm -hmm. And the great thing about it is they're all diverse from each other yes you know he's got senior fellows going larkin that's as opposite end of the spectrum as you can get yeah and then the shame of course which is a great punk band and then brother brother inferior which is featured in this that's right podcast so let's get to that and play some brother inferior all right this is bound and gagged <laughs> from Brother Inferior, straight out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. And one of the things when we had Chad Malone on, you know, he talked about when they toured through Europe and he told us all kinds of great stories about good times and some bad times as well. <laughs> yeah. So definitely go check that out. That's definitely worth a listen because he goes into all these bands and it's really cool. But yeah, Brian Crane, Terry Waska, Dave Cantrell sat down with us for well over an hour and told us all kinds of stuff about this documentary and old stories. And oh, another thing to point out, one of the guys that's featured in this that wasn't part of a band 
was Kay, who was part of the Tulsa music scene. Yes. If you were around back then, you knew who he was. I mean, I didn't even, I'd never even spoke to him, but I knew who he was because I'd seen him there. Exactly. And I know you said that you had a run-in with him once or twice back in the day. Yes. And uh, like when, you said, probably every band did. They used to have, you know, you could you could just do like an open mic thing and go get on the list on a weeknight at the Eclipse. And we went and Eric Bass, our bass player, he he didn't have any shoes on. He was barefoot, playing barefoot. Kay was not a fan of that, and he let us know. <laughs> but he let us play anyways. So it was a little scary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's the cool thing about this documentary is it. it's not just focused on a few bands. It spans this good 16, 18-year period and talks yeah. about venues and all that stuff we'll get to here in a bit. The thing is previewing, have a preview screen October 6th at Circle Cinema, 7 p.m., 10 bucks. That's right. And the cool thing about this is all of that $10 from every ticket goes to the Circle Cinema. That's awesome. And this is a preview screening, and this actual premiere is going to be later, and I'll talk about that and yeah. what's going on with that. They're doing a Q&A after the, after the showing. Yeah. I think there's actually said like a reception before the showing. Mm -hmm. There's probably food and drinks, and I think there's a performance. And then, like you said, a Q&A with these three guys afterwards. Yeah. So if you listen to this and there's something you don't hear that you want to know about, get out there and ask them. That's right. And then afterwards, there's an after party at the Blackbird on Pearl, which used to be the Eclipse, right? That's all right. That's right. So anything else we need to talk about before we get into this? I think we covered it. Yeah? Yeah, I think we should just roll that beautiful bean footage. <laughs> Hell yeah. Dave Cantrell, Brian Crane, Terry Waska, Old Capital Underground. It goes from the late seventies to mid nineties to where it's like that's all the post and, and the, kind of stuff. So and it's a gray line. Bulls and bunnies and because when thrash, it's like yeah, there was some thrash, but it went more on the metal side, like the you know like like theatrics and yeah, and all that. They weren't really in the punk scene, but like Asylum was because they they drew the punk crowd in. So it's a fine, it's a gray area. We don't go into the metal, the you know we go to the punk thrash like Pitbulls. They started off as a hardcore band, then more went more thrash. Same with Bunnies of Doom. You know, they started off and, you know, but then there was bands because they could play with punk bands or the metal bands. Right. You know what I mean? So there's this gray area. And we, the good thing about that era is we were all there. So we kind of have a good thumb on that. Yeah. The earlier stuff we knew, but we actually, four or five of the guys were in bands. We'd always ask them. You know what I mean? We interviewed them. We would all, I'd call them up all the time. We'd call them historical consultants now. Just to be, <laughs> <laughs> but we'd always say, hey, do you think that band was this? Because they were there. It's not like we did our opinion. You know, we, we did our research. It's like, okay, is that, you know, to make sure. Because some, like, someone was like, that didn't sound like food chain, Sarah. Yeah. I was like, that just sounds like new wave stuff. And I, I was like, were they, you know, because we wanted to put some girls in it. Because, man, it's a lot of dudes, you know. I mean, that's Sausage what it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but, so she was like, uh, they said, yeah, they were considered that. And they played in that, you know, thing. And here's Dave. I wonder how late he is. 
I guess the most obvious question is how did this come about? Whose idea was it? Where did everything start? Well, about six years ago, I was living in Colorado and uh, I was thinking about moving back. And uh, I'd been working on some stuff with my own old music videos, VHS. I noticed how degraded everything was getting on that end. So I was like, you know, it'd be cool to think of something creative to do. And I got back to Tulsa. You know, maybe I could hook up with some bands and make a documentary before all that stuff you know, turns to dust, and I call Brian, and apparently he'd been thinking a very similar thing, and so we, for the first couple of years of this project, did some long-distance work. I'd come to town a couple times a year, and we'd collect videos and do a few interviews, and then it just kind of snowballed from that, especially once I got moved back. Yeah, yeah, we, um, it's been what, we really got going on it in probably 13, 12, something like that, a little bit. Um, 11, we just, like he said, we got interviews and stuff, and then, um, then he would come back and visit, and we'd have, like, uh, you know, it's like, hey, here's what I got, because I had my own, I got my own equipment, started my own LLC, doing other things, and I was like, okay, got a camera, all my own gear now, because, um, you know, my day job's been TV for years, so I want to do something on my own, and I was in the scene, too, we were, all three of us were back in that scene, and that's how we kind of met in the 80s, so, late 80s, I guess, wasn't it? Yeah, but um, but yeah, I always wanted to do something on the scene with music involved because it's such a unique thing for Tulsa. I mean, you know, you know, it is around here, rednecks and crap, you know. And so he came back, and we've been in communication. We're friends anyway. Besides this, so it was like we always talked about stuff. And then yeah, when he moved back, it made it a lot easier because you know, even though I was editing and shooting and stuff, it's like you know you can't work in a vacuum. And then Terry got jumped in later. Um, that kind of backed into wouldn't it? Yeah, I I would kind of wait until it got farther along to see what yeah. he needed to do. Yeah, yeah. He does a lot of the art and stuff and illustrations in it. And he did the title graphic, and, you know. So, but yeah, we didn't have a name for it for most of, most until about two years ago. Yeah, we started throwing names back and forth, and it just kind of came up. You know, we didn't want to call it something obvious like Tulsa. You know, <laughs> right? We wanted to come up with a clever title, but and it didn't really have a direction until about you know. 2013, 2014, it was just, he would complain, he's like, we need to have an idea where this is going, and I'm just like, let's interview this guy, and let's interview this girl, and let's get this band's video, and we so we just stockpiled at first, and then uh, kind of chiseled away at a storyline as it developed. Yeah, originally we were just going to do like our generation, like mid-late, mid-80s to early 90s, but we'd already did so much of a backstory with a few other older people, not older people, but, you know, generation before us. I was like, why don't we just do the whole thing? I mean, we're that close. Go interview some more people. And, you know, so we kind of, what, late 14s when we did that, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so it just kind of blew up the beginning of it and started over, you know, cause, and then went from there. And because uh, we were like, yeah, I mean, it'd be silly to just leave out basically eight years. Yeah, originally it was going to be like an hour long and kind of start with NOTA who were like the original hardcore band and kind of like NOTA and their offspring or something that scene that kind of came post NOTA before, you know, and you know, the first wave or second wave of generation after NOTA. But then they were so intertwined in the early, early punk scene in Tulsa that it was, uh, 
we couldn't deny that. We had to go back and get all those other guys that, at first glance, seemed maybe kind of new wave or lighter, but at the time, late 70s, early 80s, was considering really off the wall and cutting edge here in Tulsa. So we, you know, we respected what they did, so we added a lot of other stuff that we we didn't originally plan for and that we didn't really even know about. Just as we interviewed people, then it would, like, branch off and, like, well, we'd go talk to this person this person recommended. And we found out what they were doing or who they were involved with and and how far back the roots go. Yeah, and it was like, we, you know, back then, too, a lot of the stuff was kind of new wave and punk. It was the same thing. So sometimes we had to, you know, call and say, hey, you sure this band is kind of, you know, we have, like, Roger and Anthony and Greg Sewell and Roger and a few Scott others. from Los Reactors. Yeah, a few of the guys that were in those bands and in the scene, and um, we'd always call and ask them questions like, are you sure? And they said, yeah, they were in that same scene. It was all kind of mixed together. And, and it's all told in the story now. I mean, they the interviews told it well, how it changed and evolved. But yeah, some of that stuff they listen to and be like, that sounds like New Wave. But back in Tulsa, I mean, we were like five years behind the rest of the world back then. You know, there was no internet or anything, you know. Like, well, if it wasn't Led Zeppelin, then it was punk. It was, yeah. you know, it was, it wasn't mainstream at all. Then it was punk. So that's well, kind of what it all started. said earlier, if it's not Boston or Kansas. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> well, Terry and I came from more of a heavy metal background. We were in a band called Asylum. So if it wasn't super hard, we liked hardcore and speed metal. If it wasn't like that, then it didn't seem punk. It seemed quaint because we were so far removed, we didn't realize at the time, you know, you'd hear the little, the keyboards or whatever and the stuff, and you just got, oh, that's just new wave stuff. It's not, and you know, as you old, you know, age, you, know, you get a little more wisdom and you expand your taste and you, maybe you can take some of the blinders off your eyes and like, oh yeah, I guess that was, I was too young and dumb at the time and, you know, didn't see how different that really was for what was going on around here. But, but I mean, now you see that like Talking Heads were one of the first bands that played CBGBs. Who would have thought of that? Yeah. You know. Yeah. Oh, I met, I first got into it was back in the mid 80s. My friend Mike Armstrong, we met him at some, I forgot, some girl's house, and he had a mohawk. And Spike Mike. Yeah. That's how I know. Yeah. Spike Mike. And uh, he was in the punk scene, so he, he took us to all these places like fields, like a place called the Ditch, way out south. And it was just a drainage ditch where all these people hung out and uh, drank skate. and skate. And, you know, and it was cool. It was a whole different world out there. You know, and they hunt, we'd always pick it on the gravel pit on Riverside. Maybe like 50 people out there were drinking alcohol and stuff and carrying on right on Riverside. Delinquents. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't happen today. And skinheads would show up, but they wouldn't mess with us. I mean, but they were kind of around that. And they caused a lot of crap in town, of course. But, you know, not all of them were bad. I mean, some of them were cool to us and, you know, whatever. But, you know, some stood for different things than others. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but, uh. But then that's a bench. Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to change the subject, but I know what these two guys' background is in music. Which yeah, I played in a band called The Outcast. We were just—it's not even—they're not really in the dock. I have some Easter eggs in there of us, you know, <laughs> that, you know, you know. But that's—we played like parties and stuff. We played with some of the bands like Crimes Against Humanity and stuff, and we basically did parties and house stuff. We used to have phone bill gigs for a dollar, charge people to come over and watch us practice. You know, to pair then, then he was in a band called Decadent, Decadent Lament. Yeah, we won't talk about that. That was that was let it in, but yeah, that's I wrote, that. Didn't you? Was it the like the last night Nitro? Yeah, we Nitro? played there. Yeah, yeah. yeah we but it, was, it was the last night, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the last yeah. night. Nitro. So the last night, yeah. Nitro was called Nitro before it closed for a while and became Eclipse. 
his band played and I roadied, you know, loaded gear in and Kay, the owner, caught me drinking whiskey in there and it was a, you know, beer bar, boy. He chased me out and threatened to not let them play just because they were associated with me and then Yeah, I remember that. But he loved funny. He loved us. <laughs> yeah. He loved us. I mean, but I was, I was and banned. he always he always gave us beer to play. Because he wouldn't pay us but when he, we were underage. But you couldn't we never got a whiskey in because he wasn't getting a cut of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like for that like the next yeah. year, the next two years, if I came across him anywhere, he would like just run after me, cussing and chase me off. Well, right. And then after that, it was all good again. I think he banned me like twice from there. But. I'm pretty sure we saw him walking through once smoking weed out of a corn cob pipe, though. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, uh, we can, or, or some high quality oregano. Right. <laughs> we can only speculate. I mean, Kay's one of the stars of the documentary, so... Kay, yeah. Kay, Kay is a rock star. But how we met Dave, I met Dave first, we, you know, because we were in the scene, and then, you know, you see bands playing stuff, but we also had an apartment that everybody came to. Not everybody, but, you know, we had the party apartment, kind of, and so they started showing up, and that's how Dave and I became friends, was downtown, road down there. And we just kind of yeah. clicked, and then met Terry through Dave, and just kind of, we all started hanging out, and eventually I quit doing bands, like, in the early 90s, like, 90, 91... We did the outcast thing again briefly, but then we hung out. Always went to their shows all the time, and we'd go see other bands around town. And you know, it was a fun time. It was different than now. I mean, everything it always changes, but right now you couldn't catch anybody on Riverside like that. I mean, well, maybe, you know, I mean, it could no be the way. same. I mean, if oh, it is. There, were, there, there is no way that we could possibly grasp what eighteen-year-olds are doing now. I mean. Like forty, so it's like is is aware. You know, we'd be aware of what they're doing as much as our parents were aware of what we were doing. I mean, there could be completely something, whole new thing going on just like that, and it just because that, that's not on our radar. We, I mean, of course, you had a network completely different back then. It was all flyers, word of mouth, the occasional phone call at your mom's house. Where are you going to be? I'll try to find you. Now it's you can pinpoint exactly where everybody is, so they have that on over on us, but. I don't know, I think that's also kind of killed it a little bit. Yeah. I mean, now every band, because there's also ten times as many bands as there were back then, but every band can make an event, post it on Facebook, tag all their friends, and there's so much going on that, you know, I think there's as much apathy at any particular show now as we had back then. It's just that back then, no one really knew about it, because unless they went by Starship and saw the flyer nailed up on the board outside, they had no idea what was going on. Yeah. We, but and then everybody it, has a record now too because they just recorded it in their room. Right. It was a big deal if somebody put something out back then. You had to work for it. Well, is that one of the things of the documentary is because it's there was so many bands and some of them weren't around for a long time. Some of them were around for you know six months. But if you didn't have video, which who had cameras then, and if you didn't go into the studio, which who did that? I mean, that was twenty bucks an hour back then. Yeah. You know, I mean, not many bands from back then have anything. So it was really hard to put in something for everybody that was worth mentioning. You know, we've got flyers. So if somebody talks about one of the bands, maybe all we've got is a flyer with their name on it. So well, that they played at Blue Grotto or something like that. Yeah, there's the no earlier, audio. There's no video. Yeah, the earlier stuff, it's even harder to come by. At least during the, there was video cameras in ours, but... Uh, Anthony Lookout, one of the guys from New Mysterians, he actually had some great footage of them at Crystal Pistol and uh, Blue Grotto. So it's gold footage we have because other than that, people weren't carrying around cameras back then, you know, like video cameras especially. Well, I mean, a VHS camera stills, in but not 1990 video. was 600 bucks. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, um, talk about, you know, 
that you said he did some of the artwork and stuff. I mean, what is each one of you guys' roles in this? You know, what did what did you handle and you handled and all that kind of stuff? Brian basically did everything. <laughs> well, <laughs> he was the technical technological end of it for sure. He, yeah, Brian. Yeah, he, the, he shot it. He the the biggest toughest part of it was going through. I can't imagine how many hours and there's no narration. Turning it into a story, turning it into a narrative. I mean, but I've done it for at work, so it's, it just takes time. I mean, putting all the sound bites together with the music. There's no narration because that's kind of old hat. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying it's bad, but it's all sound bites and music. And then and just let that. I want well, to do a voiceover. And I wouldn't let what, it. Yeah, <laughs> and also Dave. Once we, once we did all the interviews and stuff to fill gaps, I knew we directed all the questions at Dave. So when you see his interview up. It's stuff we needed, you know. He, it's the not a narrator, but you know what I mean. He connected point A to B. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So when I had gaps, it's like I wrote them all down. Then we went and did an interview with Dave, and it was able to fill and keep it, you know, going. So yeah, the historian in it. Yeah, so that was basically my role. Is I would suggest we had a basic core group of people we knew we wanted to interview, but some, you know, I would go beyond that circle and we debate this and that. You know, because I have a list of like 50, 60 people. And he's like, well, you know, we can only do so many because we're only going to use like a couple of minutes. In a couple of minutes, someone talking on a documentary like that feels a lot longer. You know what I mean? So, I mean, but we pared it down and and I came up with a lot of people to interview and then I bugged them all. You know, I'm the one like, oh, I know three years ago you found this picture for us, but now do you have a picture of this? Yeah, it's hard to keep up because after you're going, I mean, usually you have a huge, you know, like at work, you know, you got several people working on it. Somebody does this and that and it's all us. So it's like, okay, uh, Dave, where's that flyer? Because a lot of the tracks, music tracks, still have to play over the phone because back then they're Untitled 1, Untitled 2, Untitled 2, you know. <laughs> and it's like, well, hey, Terry. And he said, oh, that's a cover song because it was so, I couldn't tell. And so there's all that kind of stuff and, you know, always message it. The bands, everybody in this is really super cool and, you know. And they'd always get back, say, yeah, that's that song from here or whatever. The name of it's this. Because you want to make the spelling right and all that stuff. You don't want any, you know, got to be accurate. And there's some that even the bands then had no idea what the titles were. It's only been 35 years since I heard that song. (laughs) So it's called Jam in D or something like that. (laughs) Maybe you had a lot of that stuff. Yeah. What did your running time end up being? Right at two hours. It's like two hours and 40 seconds right at black at the end. You know, right when the face is black. So, was it, there? We was tried it to hard get it to get it to that point, or was it? No, it, it was just going to be what it is. I didn't time it down. It was just as so I went. Were trying to get it. No, to not an exact time. No, only to, only on the credits because then I was like, okay, at least get kind of an exact time at the end. Well, you know what yeah. I mean? It's like, but yeah. originally it was trying to. We were trying to keep it at an hour because it's like, well, no one's going to want to sit through that because you know, there's not you know just this one little era, and then it's like, well, let's go a little back a little bit farther now. You know, yeah, instead of starting with the end of NOTA, it's like, why did NOTA do this? Who was before that? And, you know, all the older stuff with the New Mysterians and found some oh. old Joe Christ interviews. And it went all the way back to the, when the Sex Pistols played here. So, actually, okay. that's kind of the starting point. Okay. One of the that in the beginning, too, on Facebook, on social media, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. They, people are like, well, are you going to do this and this? And it just got chaotic. In the what about beginning. my band? What about my band? Yeah, what we're just getting going. Like, people on there just, you know. You're a cover band. What the hell are you talking that's about? That's the only nightmare because <laughs> it's a necessary evil, but at the same time, man, it's like, geez, people, chill. Well, we, I also, we had an original. I, we wrote yeah. a song. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so we didn't interview everybody from every band. We just, we cast a net and let the few tell the story for the many. Now, the few is over 30 people. 
But then there's still the people that, you know, they feel left out or, well, you didn't talk about my band. It's like, well, maybe, I think your band is actually in it. We just didn't talk to you directly, you know. We had people getting mad because they knew we weren't going to talk. We weren't going to mention it because Asylum and another band had this rivalry, I think. I don't know what it was exactly. But they're like, well, screw you guys, you know. I mean, right off the bat. But then turns out people talk about them, so they're kind of in it. We've got pictures. We've got flyers. So we didn't tell them they're in it, but. Well, then also when people would say that, I was like, well, what do you got? Or if it's not kind of in the music, we, I'm like, do you have footage of you playing at this specific club? Because we're, cause not only do we, we don't, we talk about some bands, we have some bands featured and then other bands, you know, shout outs and that. And then we feature some of the main clubs throughout the years. So it's like any footage we got from those clubs is gold. Yeah, you know, so if you got that, I mean, our Club Nitro section has a lot of footage of different bands that we don't really go into in the dock, but it just gets them a little shout out that they're playing at Club Nitro. You see the, the classic Nitro backdrop, you know, just to show the diversity Nitro had. Yeah. Well, I did notice, I mean, like you mentioned Sex Pistols, and I think I saw some other stuff mm-hmm. in that group over the past year. I mean, you guys focus on national acts that were playing these places as well, it's, not just it's the not really acts. A, it's not really a focus. It's just a like the just Sex Pistols and Ramones. Yeah. Greg Sewell had some phenomenal pictures of Sex Pistols and Ramones, and they talked because that's where the genesis of it all is. Yeah, and then I got some Channel Six. I've got a lot of stories from Channel Six with permission. I got know some people down there, but they're cool about the Sutton news. So I got like a little, but it just adds to the story. And we got like Keith Morris. He was in town with Off from the Circle Jerks. Yeah, and and Black Flag. You know, and uh, we're proving that Tulsa was legit because because someone played on the dirt. We just wanted an outside perspective because he played. He played here in '85 at the Four Two Four, which was downtown, and um, and he once we told him he remembered that. You know, I mean, we brought him a picture because Dan Rife, one of the guys at Oc, had pictures of it, and um, but it's just a flavor. He gave his perspective on Oklahoma during that time. You know, playing here, what it. Was how we were perceived out, you know, from other states. Yeah, and stuff. if we have pictures of some of those bigger bands at some of those clubs, like at the Crystal Pistol with the, you know, Who's Gonna Do and the Descendants, or yeah, we'll, we'll show or the Descendants for a four twenty four, but our Black Flag at the Vortex or whatever, anything that kind of shows how we interacted with the outside world that we weren't completely insular. Yeah, a lot of people don't believe those bands actually came here. You know. Right. <laughs> I mean, because NOTA toured with Dead Kennedys, Who's Do, and yeah. RKL. They played with RKL. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Meat Puppets. I mean, they played with a lot of people and went on tour. They were, you know, and, but yeah, it's not a focus, but they're in it because, you know, they played here. It's part of the scene, and that's what got people going, you know. And there's flyers showing that Flaming Lips played, but they wouldn't talk to us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, we, they played at Nitro, and I guess back then they weren't, you know, the consensus is when they started off, like a lot of bands weren't that great. After the, four years of trying to get They finally got back with this, and he said he's not interested. Yeah. <laughs> Fine, you know, it took him, yeah. took him four or five years to say he's not interested. And only because they're Oklahoma City band, but they played at Nitro a lot back then. And, um, I think they played Crystal Pistol too, but yeah, but um, but they, so and they I used to open for NOTA. We always heard Wayne was cool about doing those interviews. We thought, okay, you know, we'll ask him. And it took a few years, but he just for whatever reason didn't want to do well, it. Well, he's so. he's so much about shameless self promotion. Really, yeah. I mean, look at his <laughs> Instagram. Terry he Waska. doesn't shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is Terry Waska talking crap. Well, that brings <laughs> up a question I wanted to ask. Was there, you know, I guess besides. Wayne, was there anybody you tried to get that you couldn't for any reason? We had one guy that we won't name 
that was interviewed. Are you talking about famous people? No, just anybody from really famous or yeah. from. We had one guy interviewed in it. The doc We're was not ready, names, we, uh, yeah. and I called him to tell him it was almost out. Could he sign a release? And he asked to be removed, completely removed. And I said, "Well, what about your involvement in this and this?" So I'll leave that in there. But it's like, we but remove me, and I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. He carried, and we really wanted him. <laughs> Witness protection was he was you know, yeah, was he a violation was, or something. He was only in it a total of maybe eight minutes, so I was able to get another interview, and, and it actually turned out a little better. But we'd still like to have him. But we had interviewed him like six years ago, and this was just earlier this year, right when I was finishing, and he had been in it wow. all that tried to go back and rip him out and do all this stuff. But we we're using some of he the stuff. He got spooked by a release form, I guess. I don't know. It's like, well, yeah, okay. he, he, talking to people that, I, and I, so I even told him in a text that, Hey, you don't have to sign a release form. If you just, we really want you in it, you know, which is a leap of faith, but it, nothing. He so, just, that's the only problem we had. Otherwise everybody's been really, you know, good. Yeah. yeah and we got Tex Montana before she passed. Yeah. Oh, that's like two years. Trailer. That's, that's cool. Yeah. She was a great interview. And that was like two or three years later than that. You know, it was. I think she died less than a year after that interview. She died pretty quick. I can't remember the timing, but it seemed like wow, really? Because it seemed like, yeah, it was quick. Yeah, it was sad. Didn't expect that. She was very uh, charismatic. You know, she was good. We have an old interview with uh, Joe Danger, Joe Christ, whatever. You know, he was in Los Reactors. He passed away in '07, but we have an interview they let us use, and we were able to put that in, which is really cool because he was a big part of the scene back then. He's one of the main driving forces. Yeah. He got the Blue Grotto going. I mean, as far as he didn't start it, but he started getting the bands in there and stuff. And that's told in the dog of it, too. So Generated the early punk scene. Curated. That's what they call it now. Yeah, curated. Yeah. (laughs) I curated the shows there. (laughs) So so what's probably one of your favorite parts of it or favorite interviews that you got? I guess I should say all of them. (laughs) <laughs> wow! Since we're being recorded, yeah, yeah. since I've been here, well, yeah, most most memorable, maybe. <laughs> you know, one of the I mean, and, uh, there's a lot of things, but I would say it was the Baby M part because there's you got a lot of different aspects to it, and it's real quirky and cool. And Brandon Holder, who's our drummer, and he was Leon Russell's drummer the last ten years before he passed. And uh, but he and he was also in Pitbulls. Right. Yeah, he was a later. But that, I think we both, I mean, all the stories are great, but for that one, it has so many, like, ups and downs, and it's so weird, because they had, like, a cult-type house, and they had blood rituals to be in the band, and all this stuff. <laughs> for, yeah, yeah for this real. is for real. Yeah. And um, and then Comstock, you know, he passed away in 04 from a drug overdose, I think, and that's, so it's, you got the whole spectrum there, I mean, but it's, but yeah, I, I, I don't know if it's favorite, but it is definitely one of the more different stories in there, for sure, yeah. so... And the lady that has the old baby M house, I think she, she uh, owns Empire now. Yeah, that's I think. What you're saying. Yeah. yeah, somebody told me that. Yeah, like, had the a, house is still there. It's the 15th of Newport. It was so. called the House of Suffering, and it was a, like we had video squad house. So we got a video of people like sleeping in the closets. So. Yeah, well, some, they're talking about what Debbie Gibson. They had a Debbie yeah. Gibson CD for some reason. Yeah, some of that video though, man, it was it was like uh, we couldn't put it in. Yeah, but Brandon had that for us too. He gave us a bunch of cool baby M stuff. So and so did Brian Durr and a few others. They had some. We got some stuff. rare NOTA footage, which is pretty cool. And yeah, Bruce yeah. came up with that. Bruce is the bass player, and he's been real helpful on the doc too. He's one yeah, of our historical guys, and he uh, what about six, seven months ago, or I don't know if it's been that long. He said, hey, "I got a film that's really good footage." Oh, man, it was Went great. through my storage unit and found this. It was great. <laughs> yeah, so we popped that in, and so it's great that we waited this long. Cause 
people just suddenly come out of the woodwork and be like, hey, I got this and that. And, yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, you kind of mentioned that before Dave got here. Like you said, there were several guys you would call. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. It's like, who, who were all the guys that you uh, like reached out to? Greg Sewell, Anthony Lookout. Roger. Roger. Roger Scott. Yeah, Roger Scott. Um, Greg Sewell was Greg the Sewell. promoter at the Crystal Pistol. And Bruce Hendrickson from NOTA. Sometimes Dennis Dusenberg too. And, uh, Plays in faded. Yeah, and then Chad for the recent, like Chad Malone and a few others. But we kind of know the recent, I mean, our history. But we'd still call, you know, ask people, hey, and sometimes Chris Dunn. They were in the kids' together so but yeah those guys were gold because in uh because they knew you know everything from back then so we knew some but when in, when in doubt call them or email you know message them or let them hear a song or whatever and so yeah we want it to be as accurate as possible so they were really really cool i Helpful. think timeline wise um, chad's band brother inferior was in terms of the years active was the latest going band and and they're, I mean, so they were kind of ruled the mid to, to late 90s, from what I could tell around here. And there was probably a whole scene at that point that we don't go into because we're wrapping it up then. It's, they're mainly included because they came out of Chad's earlier bands and they were, they started then, but their whole story goes into 2000s or whatever. So that would be like for volume two or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, yeah, we had to cut it off somewhere. Yeah, we're like, okay, we've covered like almost 20 years worth of stuff here. I think we're good. Two hours. I mean, it's going to be a Ken Burns series after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we didn't do every little, every single band either. It was mainly yeah. the big ones, the ones that, you know, made an impact. And we do talk about other ones too. I mean, you know, people but, are like, oh, but yeah, so. But there's still going to be a lot of butt hurt when it comes out. I oh, there's going to, yeah. <laughs> you always get that though. People that love it or hate it or, hey, you didn't put this or that. And it's like, okay, fine. But, you know, but I think we did it as well as we could. I think, you know, it wasn't just our opinions. We actually sought out other people's and stuff just to make sure, you know. We started with what we knew and what we liked and then let them talk about what they know and what they liked. Yeah. So <laughs> it was like a flowering. <laughs> well, was there anything, uh, you know, in, in the making of it that you learned that you didn't know? Like, you know, because... I'm sure there's, you know, probably knew everything. Was there anything you just, you know... Plenty of stuff from the early season, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. We like, got to know Dale Lawton pretty well, and I didn't know him beforehand at all. And He's another guy we looked... Uh, he has a very a interesting story. Yeah, he, he went off to L.A. to become a sound engineer and ended up becoming real good buddies to this day with Butch Vig and recorded all sorts of different... Acts from like what he said, Soul Asylum to Dave Navarro and uh, God, Bad Brains, and Yo Yo Ma, yeah, <laughs> seriously, yeah. he has this whole. I mean, there's a lot of bands out there, and you know, when you get to know him, he was like King Charisma back in the day. It seemed like he was probably a lady killer, you know, yeah, so he was like the front dude. He still, I mean, he still looks the part now, and he's older than we are, yeah, he looks the part more than we do, that's for damn sure, <laughs> yeah, he does. Yeah. <laughs> well, so how is this? I mean, I don't know if you want to give stuff away, but like, how's this laid out? Is it like just from you know one of those docs where it goes from interview to interview, or is it like a narration or anything like no, that? No, no narration whatsoever. It's all <laughs> it's all sound bites and music, and it carries the whole thing. And that's kind of the way you do it now. Narration, yeah, you know, it's okay. It's kind of old hat, you know. But um, most of the docs now, if you watch them, even the punk the punk rock docs we've watched, they're all that way too. And that's not why, but that's just the best way to do it. And you know, it starts off. 
you know, Sex Pistols all the way through. I mean, we even talk. What else? I'm trying to think of. It's generally chronological, but it's interwoven where we kind of yeah, pass around. So, I mean, Pitbull's on crack when it comes to band features. They're probably, they're the last ones near the yeah, end. Yeah, because everybody was going at the same time, so you can't say this band but, came out on this date and then this one on this one. So there, you know what I mean? Yeah. So there wasn't really a method to the order at the end. It just felt right because there was like incestual back then. Yeah. Right. And then one band, a lot of bands were concurrent. And one band, were, Asylum yeah. splits up and he goes, Dave and Stacy go to Bunnies, Bunnies and Doom and I went to Pitbulls on crack, so that was kind of a lead in to those. Yeah, so that's why. And then, um, and then Steve Ray married his sister, and then me and Trev from Pitbulls married sisters, and that's how incestuous this thing. <laughs> yeah, and then um, we did, you know, um, uh, what is, oh God, I'm brain dead. Um, before Baby M, we did, uh, oh, the Illegitimate Sons of Jackie O, or in it, that's Dan Reif, and... Uh, they're one of the featured bands. They didn't have a whole lot of stuff. And that's the thing is I tried to use as much stuff from everybody as possible. And we would just bug the crap out of people. It's like, got any more video? You know? And some people, you know, they don't want to go through boxes. And some of them did. It just depends. They don't know where it's at or whatever. You know, it's been, you know. But, um, but yeah, it's, once it gets to the, uh, there's a whole kind of area on venues. Once it goes from, to our era we kind of go over some of the venues. There's a gray area where it's overlapped because mid eighties was for, you know, the thrash stuff and that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So some of the venues were kind of in the mid eighties. So I had to put it there together best I could because, you know, you know what I'm saying? I know exactly. Yeah. Because <laughs> nitro technically started in 94, 84. So it was more of our gender bits at the tail end of theirs. You know what I mean? There's crossover. Yeah. So that was a tough part, but at the same time, I think it flows. So, I hope. <laughs> so, did you just have on the early stuff where you weren't as completely familiar with it? Did you have anybody look over it before you decided it was the final? Yeah, we've product? had people. Yeah, we ran. Well, yeah, we've had like what Bruce and Bruce from NOTA came by. Oh, months ago. Yeah, yeah. and we we played it for some show and told them and stuff. We haven't played it start to finish for anybody but us. But. Yeah. yeah, so they're like, cool with it. We've kind of talked about getting a really small place and inviting a bunch of people that are in it into it for fact checking and all that. But I'm kind of afraid of too many opinions. Yeah, because I think <laughs> we I think we fact checked a lot throughout the whole thing. So I think we're good on that. So at that point, you would get like thirty. You know, you just never know. You open yeah. up a can of worms. So, but after the viewing, if there's something glaring that came up, it's like you know, we I can still you know fix it. It's not like it's you know t- you know. Going yeah, I mean, it's, right it, now it's more day. like, is this absolutely wrong? Because a lot of everybody remembers things their own way. Right. Yeah. Because one guy, when he saw it, was like, we showed him a little segment and he was like, well, actually, it happened like this. I'm like, is generally this true? This did happen, though. Here, Yes. That, okay, well, outside of a small circle, no one's going to care about that much detail. <laughs> and again, it's opinions because somebody else had a different. Opinion. Yeah, you yeah. Can only, you can only so, go. You can't go off in the weeds too much because we're covering such a huge time. You and, know, and there are many stories. There are many stories within a larger story. Is so the details of each little mini story. I mean, we're going for generality sometimes. You know, not the specific details. Like, did this person do this? Okay, that's what we. We need don't to care. Know. Somebody whispered in his ear the night before about it. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean. If he actually did it, then that's what matters. You know. <laughs> so we got. Yeah, that's. That's the thing, you know, take your knocks, take your heads. But it's like, did this, is this generally what happened? 
Because part of it is like, you know, there was a lot of times there wasn't anything going on. We're not talking about that. We're kind of creating the myth. It's like we're taking the interesting stuff from 20 years and condensing it. We don't want the boring stuff. We want the stuff that's fun, and we want the fun. You know, if some, some of the people we'd interview would just, like, have this little checklist of facts in their heads, and that's what they wanted. On January 6, 1980... This person tuned a guitar. <laughs> and I'm like, no, tell us about what happened when you guys met or what something. Give us yeah. a story. And then some people are like, they deer in the headlights. Uh, I think that punk rock was a significant reaction to the <laughs> atmosphere in Tulsa. And like, uh, that didn't happen. We a watch lot. your stories just, just occasionally, you know. Yeah, what I'm saying, that's well, like. You have to loosen them up a little bit. You know, in an interview, <laughs> some people are nervous and you have to loosen them up. And I've done that for years. So it's like, okay. So you start chatting with them and they get over it. But a couple of people came prepared. No, that wasn't bad. It was just they knew, like, they had to say something that was, like, scripted. Or, it's like, no, 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 no. Just talk to us. And, you know, we eventually got it out of them. Yeah. Yeah. Get the lighting right, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. lighting's not good for me. Uh, no, no. I mean, that actually no names, no names. Yeah. That happened on one. That's it. That was probably Steve Rooney, right? <laughs> no, you know that's the funny thing. Is like my interview was really early on, which is fine because my beard was a lot darker than wasn't as gray. But then I, I see the Pitbulls interview, and I'm like, oh, they actually talking about that because I got something to say now. But it's like, oh, too late. You know, I can't. Yeah. Well, and a lot of it. It's like talking about that first Pitbull interview. It's amazing when you take this long to make a documentary, how things change. Like, unfortunately, someone like, you know, text passing, never getting to see it is a bummer. Uh, Steve, we, we thought it'd be funny to interview Steve and Andy in Steve's mom's backyard because she had a pool. So let's interview him in front of the pool. And he goes like, you know, I'm so glad you did that, Dave, because that pool is no longer there. It got, got damaged from a storm and they just filled it. Oh, yeah, wow. we interviewed Tex at Crystal Pistol 2.0, and it's now Yeti, yeah. and it's gone. And then he, I mean, did, just, a, he did a drive-by at an old uh, house place that Chad used to run called the Central, Central Underground. Yeah. That building's been raised now. It's not no longer So we actually there. got that. I shot, you know, put the GoPro on, drove around town. There's a lot of GoPro shots. So. And then we did a lot of interviews on 6th Street at various parts that have now been gentrified. Yeah, we, I, and the thing is, I didn't want the interviews to look too pretty, you know. Sometimes we had to do them inside, so set up lights, but for the most part, I don't know if you ever saw this dog town. Uh, yeah. That, I want it to look like that, where you take, you're just outside and it's just great, you know, you know, maybe some iconic things like the driller or something, but then just like brick it. We'd always find these cool, like ugly areas. You know, you want it to be like immediate, kind of handheld, not real pretty and, you know, all that stuff. We wanted to kind of, that's why I was kind of patterning it after when I started it on the well, interviews. Yeah. I'm in you front know. of the porn store. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yep, there you and go. Stacey. There you go. But yeah, we just took them when we could get them. You know, we want to look kind of immediate, like man on the street kind of thing. And, you know, woman on the street, whatever. But um, that's a news term, man on the street. So yeah. That's how old that is. But <laughs> Person don't be, don't on the street. Yeah. But, but we tried to do them like, you know, sexism makes me well vomit. <laughs> we didn't want to get them like necessarily in a pretty setting, you know, and just. You know what I mean? Because it's punk rock, you know? Yeah. We want it to look like outside, gritty, and all that stuff. But, you know, so a few of them we had to set up because of the weather. So it's like, okay, let's light this guitar behind him and make it look, you know. So, but. Yeah. Or any of the, you said like the mini stories on specific bands, were any of them so interesting that you think you could do a full doc on them? Like oh, yeah, on? by far. Yeah. That's the thing. I really, I had to really limit myself when I was putting this together because I'm like, man, there's so much more to tell, but. Got to cut that out. It's going to be too long. You know, 
that didn't really have a time limit on each band by any means. It's just when it played out, it played out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you, there's a lot of stuff that you know you got to realize. It's like okay, move on. You know, you can't stay my on band, one. Of course. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> and we tried to. And, and the thing is, uh, we put people who had studio tracks, bands, tried to put like a little play 20, 30, 20 seconds of each clip, roughly, and do like a little scene. Or I'll, I'll show you a little bit when we're done, but. Um, just to make it interesting. Like, some of them are funny, and, like, some of them are, like, they had the same war all the time. Bunnies, and I found this video of army men being blown up and stuff. That type of thing. And, yeah, little, little... We don't want to give away everything. Music, little you know, music like videos. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, almost yeah. like miniature, but, but you can't play too long of a track, because you got... It just gets... You know what I mean? Yeah. That's the part I really wanted to keep going on. I'm like, yeah, it'll just drag at that point. You got to limit, because you're doing so many bands, you know? You got to kind of cut it off somewhere. And we have live performances too, you know, mixed okay. in. So, yeah, but I, I think, you know, maybe not a two-hour thing, but NOTA itself, its whole history could warrant a nice hour-long one, especially if you went into and you were able to interview all the people they knew, like Bob Mould from Husker Du and Jello Biafra and all those people that they that would be very interesting, you know, just because of how they tied in and how. They were nationally known. If you get the book American Hardcore, their logos in it. I mean, it, they're referred to in the book, and uh, so you know, I'm I'm a big fan. So that would be interesting to me. Some of the other bands would just because the weird things, like he was saying, the life of Mike Comstock from Baby M is would be worthy of a documentary because that guy was a, a charismatic outlaw. To simplify it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to simplify, he was he was a different dude. He just kind of lived life on his own terms and died. (laughs) (laughs) How many songs are represented, do you know? Oh, God. Wow. A lot. I credited every single one of them, though. (laughs) Yeah, that was the hard part. The credits were bitch. It's like, God damn. It's like, all right, what's this song? And wait a day. Sometimes people, you know, get back with you whenever, but I don't know. I mean, there's. And I used. All the music in this, whether it's a track or whatever, soundtracking music, I, I used all the music from that. Uh, genre for soundtracking and, and yeah yeah era not genre sorry thanks I'm tired <laughs> but um, but yeah it, it's um, yeah because it was more than wasn't just all punk rock so it is a genre some of it was like Baby M stuff which they were but like other bands like Brian Simmons he has he wasn't punk rock he was reggae but he had some great music and we're using some of that to soundtrack and some others just to, you know underneath stuff and so, then then of course we play some of the other ones that aren't weren't very hard or you wouldn't think of punk rock at all to contrast what was going on and the fact that these bands all interacted like uh the jacks was an early power pop band and they they played the first night of the blue grotto with nota so we contrast the. i mean today i mean maybe at the time it was a little more accepted because since it was both fringe but i mean it seems like wow when we hear it's like these two bands play together completely different but then again you know when we were playing in asylum back in late 80s and early 90s at Club Nitro it was three bands you really didn't set up your own show you it would be us and baby right. and 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 decadent lament or something like that mm-hmm. and it was always it was always a big mix cuz even then you know just like in the early thing if it wasn't Kansas or Boston it was punk yeah it's kind of the same thing even for our early days i mean the scene was so small that everybody went to everybody else's shows even if it wasn't anything you were necessarily into cuz Club Nitro was the place to be, or because you know, because Tucker or wherever, you know. 
that's that's what we did and and all the shows were this weird mix and match so i mean the jackson and ota i guess it made sense like i mean we've probably, we've probably played with weirder shit yeah jackson and ota is like beach boys and sabbath playing together True. Yeah. <laughs> it was i mean if you listen to it it's kind of well with asylum we uh when we got out of high school and we were getting our baby steps as a speed metal band, and when we started, we were just trying to grow our hair long and be a hard rock band, heavy metal, mid-80s, whatever that, you know, not glam, but we, it wasn't until the end of high school that we started getting into the thrashier stuff like Metallic and Slayer and Anthrax. And, but at that time, all the heavy metal bars were all 21 and up. Outside of, there was one called Rockers that you only had to be 18. Hair metal. Yeah, and that was, yeah. You had to play a lot of covers to play that whole scene. But, so we just went down to Nitro, and Kay would have anybody that's starting out if they're doing their own thing. And then we just, whenever, wherever we could go, wherever we could get a show, and whoever, whoever seemed like they were popular and had an interesting crowd we wanted to play with. I mean... You know, also it, getting Hedberg helped. Yeah, getting Hedberg. I mean, not saying Derek was. I don't. He was our drummer. He, he, they made, he made a more punk rock. He was in like what disease and some and yeah antisocials. Yeah. I mean, if we go down and play with Baby M, see Baby M of any band I've ever seen in Tulsa. They they brought out the best looking women. <laughs> yeah, that's by far. Gosh, yeah. you go to you. We always wanted to play with Baby M <laughs> or go or go to their shows. We did yeah. not bring women. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you get three or four, <laughs> and then there'd be you know three or four, and then ten guys. That that was usually our crowd. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let your girlfriends and wives hear this part. Don't tell them we, we're not on that podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, our our biggest investment, all of our shows, I just remember being disappointingly small. I mean, there was a few that wasn't. We played the first time DRI played here; they canceled. And we went down to the Canes and plastered flyers all over the place. And that whole crowd for DRI came down to Nitro. And luckily, we got video of that, so it looks like we were popular. Oh, we were huge. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> we Didn't I just say we're creating the myth here? <laughs> <laughs> we were huge. Well, um, you know, you've got this preview screen coming up. What else is uh, you know in store for this thing? Well, what do you want to do with it? Well, we had, we're doing a preview screening, not a premiere, because... Um, we entered it in several festivals and found out through Chuck Fox's <clears throat> circle that, you know, you're ineligible for festivals if you have a premiere and distribution like DVDs. So we're holding off on all that. We should know this fall. We may know as early as this month. Okay. And But they have several months to let you know. So once we do this, we'll play the waiting game with the festivals. If we get one, that's super. God, that's great, man. I mean, then we'll go from there. Yeah. But if we don't, then we're going to go back to the circle, do official premiere maybe a week run, look for, you know, distribution on our own or whatever. But we're crossing fingers for the festival, so. Yeah, we entered a few overseas. Um, like yeah, Barcelona and Warsaw. Yeah. There's, there's in Poland, there is an I don't know if I American, found you didn't? I don't know. There's an what? American film festival, just American films, but in Poland. Wow. So, and the entry is free, so I'm feeling pretty good about it. And Plus, story. I'm a quarter Polish, so I totally find a ringer here. I totally thought you were joking about the Polish. No, because no. I, I was like, enter, enter Barcelona, because I was like, 
I want to go there. And he's like, or oh, if we can't do that, let's do Poland. I'm like, huh? Hopefully <laughs> that's not at the top of my vacation list. That would actually, be cool. I found it on this this website. It's like the top top I don't know twenty five festivals worth spending the money on. And that one was actually on it, and it was free. So yeah, that's Circle's why it's worth the money, probably. But, Circle yeah. said they're doing one next year, so he said it could be in that. So okay. maybe they got more lax rules or something. I don't know. We entered Sundance, but you know we're kind of we, that's, that's kind of our long shot. That's yeah. the flair, yeah. <laughs> so I guess you kind of well, like you said, you got to wait till you hear from all these before you decide on right. everything else. Like yeah. right, we had planned on the premiere. Distributed and all that stuff. Yeah, this is the first solo thing for me, so I didn't know that until I went down to meet with the circle and Chuck educated me. He goes, "Oh, you don't want to do that because you'll be an L." He explained the whole thing to me, so I was like, "Oh, okay, cool." So he goes, "We'll call it a preview, and that's what it is. It's more of a private preview thing, not a premiere. So we're not accepting any money money from it. We're letting the because also they're nonprofit, so they're getting all the ticket sales. Usually they split it, but we're like, no, we, for one reason we can't take it because it would be considered ticket sales." Right. You know, and so, and another, they're being cool. I mean, it's a cool place, so it's not worth, you know, let them have it all, you know. Yeah, they're having a whole event. Yeah, they're doing, yeah, an event. Bring in, what is it, the Tulsa Film? Yeah, I haven't looked. I've been so busy. Uh, I can't remember. There's a reception at 6, and there'll be things going on on October 6th when when our movie screens. And then the... The documentary will screen at seven, and then we'll do a Q and A after that, and then an after party at Blackbird, which yeah. is the old Nitro. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's all that. So is the Q and A the three of you? Or? Yeah. yeah, we're yeah. just gonna have Terry answer all of them. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm just gonna say I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the thing with Terry, I'm gonna walk in with a bandage on my head. <laughs> with, with Terry, I'd run into things like um, the theater, Boomer Theater, and some other, a few other things. I don't give her the whole thing, but. Terry would illustrate if we didn't have couldn't find a picture of it because you also have that permission you can't just grab any random picture and put it in you know you got to you know dot your I's and cross your T's but he did a few illustrations that we needed that really were you know I don't want to name them because it's like okay but you know what I mean he yeah. did like, quite a few mm-hmm. he also did the cover <clears throat> art and the uh, the logo the flyer you see all the titles and stuff and yeah there was a and then cutouts for 3D's and all that ton of stuff yeah was on. anytime there's a picture where Something the background's doing something different than the subject that that was just Photoshop stuff. I'd layer it all up and send it to them. No, put um, it in After Effects and make it weird. move. <laughs> yeah. And uh, who was it? Somebody was telling a story about some skinheads, and Brian used a really old drawing I had done for one of Dave's poetry books, and I thought the drawing was terrible. Now and I'm like, nope, don't put that in. Let me redraw it. So I redrew it, and I yeah, drew, like, really cool. I drew a bunch of different skinheads, and I put them all in Photoshop layers and sent that to them. So, and I put a picture of a bar scene, which was what bar was it? I think it was. A, it was something from the archives. icon, I think, or something. I don't yeah, remember. So, I made it look nondescript. Yeah. Somebody knows. Yeah. So he was able to kind of animate that to go with the story. Yeah, I made the characters move. And it, yeah, it simple cool. stuff, but it looks funny. It's great. I mean, the skinheads are. I mean, Terry can really draw a skinhead. <laughs> no, I just look in the mirror these days. Yeah, that's right. Yes. <laughs> So was there ever any thought of putting on like a show, like a concert? Yeah, yeah, we talked about that, but it's I defer that to Dave because you know that had to be quite an undertaking. That would, I mean, yeah, VR. I mean, I er, er, earlier on when we were working on this, I thought about it all the time, and then there's some sort of inertia that takes a hold of the old, old band people. It's like. All you guys live here. 
you could certainly do something, but then you just, I don't know. It, you know, maybe if we do something later on after, you know, if we screen it again after all the, uh, you know, film festival stuff, we could look into tying that all together because that would, you know, maybe give another incentive for maybe people to come see it again and come to this one. But it would just kind of have to hinge on who wants to do it, you know, because you, you're going to get what, I'll quote Jeff Klein in it, the state fair versions of bands where it's just one dude and somebody else playing, you know. Fair, yeah. You, you want to get it as close to authentic as you can, and I just... I mean, even with tones, with that many bands, you you could provide one back line, and then NOTA gets up and get, does a couple, and then Ill-Fated gets up and does a couple, and... But everybody's got such a distinct sound, their bass tone, their guitar tone, that you, you've already lost it. So, you know, that's a possibility for later on down the line. But, you know, it, in my mind, I'd love to do it. But I just don't know if I can. It's, it's a lot of work, to, especially to work with all those kind of bands. I mean, I've done it for years. So that's why we're not having, we don't have any live music scheduled for the after party. Because we figured that... We'll put on a soundtrack of bands and then, because we figure it's mostly going to be one of people that haven't seen each other in years that want to just keep talking and don't want to be drowned out. They want to reminisce and catch up like a high school reunion. Yeah, if so, we were going to do that, we were talking about doing it a week before or something, you know, do it the weekend before, but, you know, until we get, an, this is just a preview thing, so we're like, well, let's wait and get through, like Dave said, maybe do that at a later time. It'd still be a good thing to do, we just have to cool really kind of... Whittle down who wants to do it. <laughs> so, kind of off subject, but are you any closer to your retrospective you were talking about putting together? Yeah, I don't know if it'll be vinyl, but I've got a test master supposed to be coming in the mail. So I'll put it out in some form soon. I'm done, I've made I've narrowed it down to thirty songs. So yeah, I hope they just. I, I I don't realize how long I've been talking about it till Facebook memories say five years ago, and then I bring up the memory where I'm talking about it. I'm like, yeah, it's almost like the documentary is like, I just need to finish that and get it out, and just whatever happens after that is the next thing, you know. But uh, yeah, I'm waiting. Actually, I I had to do do a a, te- a test master, and I'm seeing how it turned out because it's from twenty some odd years of different recordings, and you just they're all going to sound different, but you want them to sound somewhat cohesive yeah and then i don't know if i've just listened to him too much that i can't finish it's like that's never quite right <laughs> but yeah hopefully i'll, I'll send you one <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it should be done soon i'm done i just gotta be done with it <laughs> yeah probably yeah it's been a while but you know dave's always done things where i mean back when we were in college together we were talking i was taking photography and his brother-in-law showed me the book Tulsa. Have you seen that one? It's old from early 60s, kind of the underground greaser scene. By Larry Clark. Yeah, the director Larry Clark, but he's from Tulsa. And it's, I mean, these these greasers and, you know, showing this guy, they're digging a bullet out of some guy's ass after he just robbed a liquor store. And they're showing people shooting up and all that kind of stuff. So, And that was 1963 in Tulsa. So it's kind of this really gritty underground. But I had this camera at the time, and I was like, oh, I want to go out and shoot all these bands, and someday we'll put out this big, black, great, you know, black and white art tabletop book of the bands, and that never happened. But that actually turned into Dave going back and getting these recordings from all these other people, and so he's put out, you know, Rhythm of Damage and 
these other welcome kind of welcome to Tulsa, these old anthologies Cops back in the day. So. Yeah, which were just a lot of it was current bands going back to you know old Los Reactors and stuff like that. So I mean, Dave's always been trying to you know curate the music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's always always projects you know. And Tulsa's Dave Grohl. Tulsa's Dave Grohl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Terry Terry has to. Probably grimace a little bit when he sees an email from me. I don't know, what's he want me to do now? <laughs> what's he want me to do now? Can you do a cover for me? Can you do a flyer for me? <laughs> it's got to look good. I can't do it. It's got to look good. I know you were probably joking when you said part two, but is that something you guys have oh, considered at all? Or I, I don't down know. the line? Uh, you or is know, that just a... I think there's so much stuff that... It is getting missed just because there's, you know, there's, you can't put everything in it. I mean, like we were talking earlier, the, the actual like metal thrash scene gets kind of skipped because it was sort of from a different place than the pit bulls and the bunnies and that sort of metal stuff. Um, you know, I, I think it would be cool to someday just put, again, put out a, a book of photography of just and you can put everybody in there that way you know everybody gets a shout out if you, yeah. you know if you were you know played a couple of shows you know as long as you were an original band you and you were on the scene for a while i think that would be cool to do as far as a part two on a documentary it'd be great but you know this one wound up expanding so much from its original focus that you know it it, it contains its own prequel um, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That's yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, even though, you know, we're still playing, we're still in bands, it's, you know, I kind of think after that whole post-punk era, it sort of, you know, all of a sudden everybody was in a band and, it, you know. And are we the right people to tell that exactly. story? Yeah, you know, I was going to say, that's the thing, maybe... I definitely want to do something after this, but right now we just got done, so we're you know we're gonna wait. And this one took a long time. Yeah, so, so this was really this is one of the most hands down the most comprehensive thing I've ever done. So I do want to do something after this, but yeah, I think Dave's right. Let maybe somebody in that generation do it because they probably have a better thumb on it than we would. I think there's different scenes that would merit a documentary. I think like uh, I think the early like electronic industrial stuff could be interesting you know yeah, and we had a lot of that here then yeah we did and i mean that painted orange and red red groove i mean going you know, up through yeah, there was, there was a yeah. ton of other bands back then that weren't in here not that we didn't like them they just weren't in that genre you know i mean but yeah there's a whole what alternative or whatever they call it you know yeah the 90s alt rock scene but that see at that point is what i what i tried to point out the alternative rock was so it wasn't really alternative because at that point by the Mid '90s, when you had you know Z104 come out being the edge and all that, and well, when R-E-M it was mainstream, it was you know, know Green Day was mainstream, Offspring was mainstream, or you know Stone Temple Pilots was considered alternative, but that's about it. You know, that was like the Lover Boy of the '90s. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's not to say whether or not it's bad or good, but it's yeah. it's well, that's putting down Lover Boy. It became a whole different thing. You know, it, it wasn't. The internet made everybody in a band, and that's what I noticed at the time, because it's like, when we started out, it would be, you know, somebody, you'd have a house party, and people are sharing this little 50-watt PV, and then, you know, by near the end of the bunnies, all these bands that are like five, ten years younger than I am, they're coming out with their parents' 
are a lot hipper than mine were, and they already have sweet pro stacks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, they're getting that kind of, you know, we're going to put you on Edgefest and all that stuff. It, it's a whole different thing. Not saying it's worse. I mean, there could have been great bands, but it's just a, a different thing than what we did and what we experienced. Well, there was one band, even in, was it the mid-90s, the Mantras, and they were a good bands, kind of a hippie vibe, and didn't they spend 50000 on their recording, some re- yeah. some some well, iron was like ten thousand. Wasn't Pete oh. in there? Iron fifty. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was Pete. Regardless, ten thousand. Yes, Pete. Yeah. Even if that's what it was, that's still insane. That's insane. Yeah. yeah, I had a lot of guys that, or two guys that had played in, in the Bunnies of Doom at different times. And here's an interesting story because I was asking Steve Beard, who's the drummer of the Mantras, and the guy who put all that money down was the singer. Who dropped out of the band? I something like not long after their CD came out. They were one of the first rock bands. They were kind of early nineties because I remember them being one of the first bands in town to have a CD. Like, wow, you're on a CD? That's great. But Trust he them. said the singer is got like lost in Alaska and is presumed dead. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's what that's what Steve told me. And, you know, I don't know when Steve's pulling my leg or not because <laughs> he's got a different. Sense of humor, but that's what who's he told a, me. Who's the singer? Or can we not say the name? I don't remember his name. Okay. I didn't know him. I never met him. I knew all the rest of them quite well. I mean, I grew up with the bass player, Chris Foster, kind of, and he's busy in all sorts of bands these days. But yeah, the mantras, they did, yeah, they were kind of, they had that, they were, wasn't so much, they had that like psychedelic look, like a lot of those English bands like Stone Roses or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> was Stone Roses English? Yes. Yeah. What did you call that scene? I don't know. I don't know. Hippie tripping. Kind of hippie, but not so super mainstream. You know, stuff they played on 120 minutes back in the day. <laughs> cool, man. Well, we appreciate you guys' time. No, yeah, great. Well, thank Thanks you. For having thank us. you very much. It was awesome. This is a. It's kind of a generation or two before me and him really start paying attention to it. So I'm, I'm looking forward to just kind of learning a lot of it. No, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we caught the tell. I mean, we told him when we had him on, you know, we saw Bunnies of Doom several times. And oh, yeah, yeah. Pitbulls on crack, but it was just kind of like the early to mid-90s was all we got to catch, you know? You got the end of it then pretty yeah. kind of, yeah. Well, if you, like a band like Pitbulls on crack, they had basically four bands worth of members. Yeah. And like four <laughs> different identities through the time they went. The only guy that was there beginning to end Trev. was Trav Heiner. And then uh, they started off... Uh, skate punk. It was like a skate punk band. Had a different singer. Had a different everything. Tulsa Skate Crew. Yeah, they. Yeah, a couple of guys were in a band called Tulsa Skate Crew. And then yeah, they like the rhythm section. And then they joined up with uh, Andy Williams and Trev, and the singer Eamon. And then Eamon split, and they replaced the drummer. And then they became. And then Terry joined him after Asylum broke up, and so that was almost like part Mark Two. You know, if they were Deep Purple, it would be Mark Two. <laughs> that, that's kind of the. the... Yeah. Punk metal crossover. Yeah, then they're getting a little more metal, a little more metal. And then they had like the, when the Brandon Holder era when he was on drums and they did a whole overhaul then and they were kind of like the mid tempo groove helmet kind of metal. Yeah. And then they almost, then they changed over completely again. And Bunnies of Doom kind of did that too because there was a Bunnies of Doom before I joined. Um, but it's. We saw them at uh, the Beehive, the other. Original yeah, yeah, and the original guy. Yeah, I remember that. But so, like, if you just know Pipples on crack from the end, there's no telling. You wouldn't. Yeah. You that yeah. that's just 
Well, you de- why are they even in a punk rock documentary? This is just yeah. as heavy metal as heavy metal can be. <laughs> but they, I mean, if you see it, they were totally like a skatecore band or something in the early days. Well, yeah, I did play the last three. So, so at the end of Pitbulls, like literally when they broke up, someone called Larry Schaefer called the next day and said, "Hey, do you guys want to headline uh, the Halloween Freakers Ball?" So they called me up and they called that line up and they're like do you want to do this we said sure we had one practice the night before and we went on and did it that would be a finger quotes <laughs> classic lineup right the, finger, right. <laughs> yeah. the 92 <laughs> through 94 lineup would you say or did, yeah. did you hang were you 92 and a half through like almost 95 <laughs> yeah I don't, know. I don't remember I think it was 91 through 93 yeah that's what's the evolution because it changed like mm-hmm. our generation like when I first met my, my buddy Mike he's just in a punk rock but also he put in Megadeth and Metallica and so that's where it was going to the heavy, you know, it all just kind of morphed and changed. And there was still a couple of traditional, mainly Chad at the time. Chad kept it true. Yeah, he was yeah. the one that kept the tradition, but all the other ones kind of, it just morphed into that. And now it's gone back now. I mean, there's a bunch of young bands in the last 10, 15 years. That, there's a lot. There's a yeah, they're doing the old school type stuff again. Now. So it all in cycles, you know, it all I happens. saw a band from Oklahoma City and they were kids and they were doing like the English ska punk thing, which blew my mind. They were actually really good. Yeah. Yeah, I went to some punk show once, and this dude had an old school suicidal patch. I'm like, did you get that from your dad? (laughs) 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 How old are you? (laughs) By the way, Dave discovered their salt in Dasani. Yeah. Discovered what? Their salt in Dasani. That's salt water, so if you're looking to quench your thirst, it's not going to do it. (laughs) They're making you drink more Dasani. When I see, like... He told me that, and I was like, really? Disaster relief people, like Coca-Cola... Shipping down cases of Dasani, it's like, you know, you might want to cook your spaghetti in that. <laughs> but that's going to dehydrate you. It's just to make you keep drinking and drinking. My dad told me one point, he used to work for Coke. He said it was just from the Houston uh, tap. It says add, really? salt yeah. added for taste on yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Houston water supply. I didn't I know this until a couple of months ago. I was yeah. like, <laughs> it's very dry up in Colorado. And I was going to go on a little hike. My brother lives up there. We went back up to visit and it, so me and my boy, like, we stopped off and like, well, let's get some water because, you know, dehydrate real quick. And so I showed up my, a couple of Dasani's and, and my brother's grandson was like, yeah, that's salt water, dude. And I'm like, oh my God, you're right. So, so just swish and spit. <laughs> like anytime you, you feel cut, thirsty. You cut in your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you're not, but it's, it's like, you know, I also saw yeah. like after that tornado hit 41st. And yeah, the guy in Reesers is like, oh, they're laboring in this hot weather. We're going to cases of Dasani. By the way, if you want more, we're right over here. <laughs> yeah. And open for business. <laughs> yeah. I can't have another. I'm so thirsty. <laughs> no water will do. Just, just Dasani. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Brian, Dave, and Terry Waska. Three guys behind Oil Capital Underground. I know there was obviously more people involved, but it was an honor to have these three guys. I think... Definitely. This is our first uh, first Emmy winning guest on this yes, podcast. Yes, it is. Yeah, unless I'm not, unless I've missed something with another <laughs> guy. You know, I don't know. Maybe uh, Shooter Jennings won an Emmy. You never know. Yeah, <laughs> he could have because he did the music for that show, The Ranch. Anyway, <laughs> this is totally off subject. I don't. <laughs> um, rain it back into it. Come on, <laughs> right? Old Capital Underground: The Evolution and Genesis of Punk Rock in Tulsa. Preview screening. Next week, October 6th at the Circle Cinema. I'm actually going to be out of town, unfortunately, but I know you're going to be there. I will be there. I can't wait. Yeah, I hope other people... Yeah, and the, another thing to point out is after this interview, they showed us... 
Oh yeah, 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 that's right. And it wasn't just clips. We he showed us literally probably fifteen to twenty minutes worth of stuff from this yeah. sections of it, and it was as interesting and as cool as it was built up in my head to be. Exactly. I mean, yeah, I like. I think I've said a few times I can't wait to see this thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. So yeah, it'll probably you know once they get past you know the film festival season and get a preview screening. I mean, this thing should be out for anyone I would think within the next six months probably so yeah definitely be on the lookout for this even if you're not a huge fan of punk I can't imagine that you wouldn't enjoy it because we've talked about many times you know any music documentary that's done well is interesting it is no matter what the genre is that's right that's right this was uh, quite an undertaking for these guys and I'm glad it's finally coming out yeah so be on the lookout for this this is your first time listening we appreciate it like I mentioned earlier you know we've had some punk musicians on here before Lenny Lashley from Dark Buster and Street Dogs. Yes. Like I said, Chad Malone. Other guys that were kind of featured in this doc that have been on this podcast, like Stacy Lane. Of course, Terry Waska. Well, no, he hasn't been on here before this time, but <laughs> um, Derek Sanders and Mike DiPatrillo make, you know, small cameos in this thing. That's and right. They've both been on here a couple times. Who am I forgetting? Of course, Steve Ray mentioned yes. that earlier. Then we've had on people like Lola from Redneck Nosferatu, the Normandies. The entire band was on here. They even did a song for us acoustic. Yeah. And they just kicked ass at the Brady last week. That's right. Opening for Blink-182. That's quite an honor for them. That's awesome. Yeah. So check out the Normandies if you never had. It's a new generation of punk, but it's not cheesy, bullcrap, pop punk. It's good stuff. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> But yeah, like I said, first time listening, we appreciate it. 140 episodes you can check out. We're on soundcloud.com backslash thunderdash underground. Every episode's available for streaming. You can also find a lot of them on YouTube at Ethan Underground. Mention those guys. If you like Thrash, we've had on guys from Death Angel, Sid Falk, formerly of Overkill, uh, Battlecross, Insight. We've had on guys from... Metal bands like Superjoint, Corrosion and Conformity. Um, the Obsessed. Yeah. Spirit Caravan. Yeah, a lot of, when you branch off of stuff like that, we've had on guys from Truck Fighters, The Sword, Kirk Winstein from Crowbar has been on here a couple of times. Uh, Jimmy Bauer from Down and I Hate God. That's right. The list is endless, people. When it's not endless, it's 140 <laughs> long. <laughs> so go back and check all those out. We appreciate you listening. We're also on 1027wsnr.com. You can listen on the website or download the app and listen to us every Monday night, 7 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Eastern. We appreciate them having a, having us as a part of their lineup. For sure. All right. Until next time. You know, my wife was just saying, oh, I spoke with so-and-so, and he just like, what it's all about? Uh, I mean, it's, I just thought it was about Dave and his bands. Like, did you watch the trailer? <laughs> it's called Dave. It's called Dave. It's called yeah. Dave and Dave his Capital Underground. Change it, change it to Dave. <laughs> Dave. The Dave Cantrell story. Inspirational to few. Behind the music. Yeah. yeah. Thunder Underground, y'all. <laughs> <laughs>